I'm Shanna Hutchison, dietitian, blogger, and mama, born and raised in the heart of the Midwest. I believe that wellness goes way beyond what we eat and that our body size does not determine our worth. I am passionate about showing other women how to live a life they truly love, one that feels purposeful, that helps them feel their best physically, mentally, and emotionally, and that being a mom can be one of the best things you ever do without it becoming your entire identity. This is a place you can come to hear vulnerable and interesting conversations about health and wellness, motherhood, entrepreneurship, and more. If you want to find freedom with food, learn how to improve your overall well-being, and stop waiting for a number on the scale to start living your best life and go after your goals, then you're in the right place. I'm so excited to learn and grow together. This is the Wellness for the Win podcast. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome. I am so excited for today's interview. I have Ayla here, who is a fellow registered dietitian, specializes in all things nutrition for moms, whether you're trying to conceive, pregnant, postpartum, and just women's health in general. So she's a wealth of knowledge and will have so much amazing information to share with us today. Um, So Ayla, I'll just kick it off to you to introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about you, how you got into this area of dietetics specifically, and just everything that you do. Well, thank you so much for having me on Shanna. Um, I, yeah, so I, like you, I'm a registered dietitian and, um, I'm sure similar to you as well. Um, you know, we do not get necessarily fertility, uh, education in our undergrad training, um, our traditional training. So that was, um, how I got into this niche kind of evolved over, over time. So I, um, I've been, a dietitian for a little over 15 years. I worked in a number of different niches, but ultimately started a private practice. And at the time, as I was getting that off the ground, I was, you know, working, doing some consulting and some counseling through a high-end sports club in, in Boston, where I am based. And I was getting referrals over from a local fertility clinic for women to come see me to try to lose wait as quickly as they could, or else they risk their cycles or, you know, their IVF cycles being canceled, uh, or just not, not done or not successful. And so I, it was at that point that I realized, you know, there's gotta be more that we can do here. Um, you know, first of all, where are the, where are the men? And also, uh, you know, there's gotta be more that to this than just lose weight for success. Um, and I actually could see what stress that caused, you know, on the body mentally, Mm -hmm. physically, you know, financially, that just the stress that these women were going through. And that's where I really started my research. I didn't, see or know of really any other dietitians, you know, in the fertility space, it was very much a conventional medical model for fertility, um, at the time. And so it was a lot of just, um, really applying what I'm also trained in a functional medicine approach to fertility, which is really looking at the whole person and trying to distill down to the root causes of what's going on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when it comes to fertility, not everything's in our control. Of course, but um, there are a lot of a lot of things that can be influenced in a really positive way, like an additive diet and lifestyle kind of a way. And so um, I just I started working with clients, seeing really good results, and like building on that over the years. And Fullwell, which is now um, my fertility wellness and education company, was born out of really um, it was an adjunct to my private practice where I was trying to develop, you know, exactly the formula that I wanted to see Mm -hmm. that, you know, I had to otherwise piece together in a lot of different ways and wasn't, wasn't available, um, combined with just me wanting to not only have the formula, but make sure that I could have oversight into every step of the process. So 
quality control, the testing, making sure that not just the, that the integrity of the formula that I started with was kept throughout the process. And um, I have learned <laughs> a lot in the past two and a half years since launching Full Well, which was uh, originally Full Circle Prenatal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's it, it's motivated me to stay, to stick with it. It's a difficult business to be in, but I feel very... Um, confident that we're, we're doing things the right way and that feels good. And, um, yeah. So, I mean, just to kind of (laughs) wrap that up, not to be too Mm -hmm. long-winded, I really, um, really developed it so that I could use, I mean, it started out, I thought, you know, I'll produce a a few hundred bottles, right. To use with like my practice clients. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I, I thought, you know, I'll have some colleagues that will also be interested in this and appreciate it. And it's just, it's really just grown organically from, from there. Yeah. Which is incredible. And I personally, we were just talking about this before um, offline, that I've personally been taking her, the prenatals that you've developed for the past, I think, three years at this point, which is so incredible. And I love the fact that not only that they're created by a registered dietitian and a female, but you you obviously put your heart and soul into this product and you are so passionate about making sure it's done right. You know, not only that it has the optimal nutrients that we need and the optimal amounts that we need, but also that it's third-party tested and, you know, the quality is there and it's safe, which is obviously so important during, you know, trying to conceive and during pregnancy and all of those things. So that's just why I've put a lot of my own money into it because I believe in it. And you clearly do too, which is so incredible that it's been so successful. And like you said, not without its challenges over the years, but um, definitely worth it. And you're making a difference in that regard. So that's awesome. Um, And I love that you touched on that you're obviously passionate about addressing the root causes, because I think that is what's wrong with our system is that weight loss is always the first thing that doctors go to and not to single out just physicians, but a lot of times people are told, oh, you just need to lose weight and, you know, X thing will be solved. And it's like you said, it's so much more than that. There's so many different factors that come into play. Obviously, nutrition is one big piece of the puzzle, but also um, stress and the the male in the equation as well. Mm-hmm. So there's just so many things that go into it. And um, I just think it's really, really important that you're bringing awareness to that. So I want to go ahead and jump in. Sorry, did you have something you wanted to interject there? No, I was just, I was just going to say that, you know, back when I started, it was, you know, a lot of the research was really problematic. There was a lot of weight stigma and bias Mm -hmm. in it. And there wasn't a lot of really good, you know, fertility research, at least from the diet and lifestyle perspective and how it could influence um, fertility when I was getting started. So it was a lot of piecing things together. And I think that's changed to some degree. And there's, there's more of that, which is great. Yeah. you know, to, to see that it, obviously there's a lot of variables and, and weight is, is, uh, often it's actually not the place to focus on first. Yeah. yeah, Right. Especially if it does add so much extra stress, mm-hmm. which in and of itself can be really hard during that journey. Um, mm-hmm. not only physically, but also emotionally, um, you know, the fertility process is already a stressful time for most of us, um, inevitably. So yeah, really, really important. With that said, kind of starting at the trying to conceive journey, since that is kind of the the first step for people who are maybe even a year or so away from wanting to tr- start trying. What do you recommend for people as far as how can they start to set themselves up for success before that journey even begins outside of, you know, starting to take maybe a prenatal? Yeah. So I, I always get excited when, you know, I have practice clients where it's like, you know, they're not trying to conceive yet, but they know it's on the horizon because I know there's such an opportunity to really influence not only how 
easy it will be for them to conceive, but the, the health of the pregnancy as well in postpartum baby's long-term health. I mean, we're talking, I, I get excited and really passionate about this because what's done in the preconception period by both partners, women mm-hmm. and men influences future generations, <laughs> you know, yeah, so, which is I mean, wild. It is wild, you know, yeah. and it, it's a lot of pressure, you know, and sometimes yeah. I get really excited and I need to acknowledge that that can, be, <laughs> that can feel like a lot to yeah. someone to hear, but it, it's also on the flip side. It's why, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that we can do that are in our control. There's other things that we can't, that was, you know, that are being influenced by our grandparents and great grandparents, you know, and things like that. So I, mm-hmm. I like to at least point that out. But um, yeah, in addition, I mean, starting a prenatal multivitamin to help fill in the gaps where, and I, and I say the gaps because you can have, you can have a really solid diet that, that is meeting a lot of your nutritional needs, but we have a lot of modern stressors, environmental, um, even just modern medications from over the counter to like common ones like hormonal birth control, which, you know, a lot of um, women are on right up until they start trying to conceive, which is certainly something we could talk a little bit about. But, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of modern environmental and other stressors on the body as well as changes in our food supply, like how food is produced, the soil quality, things like that, that have led to a place where I think there's, there really is a justifiable evidence-based need for some supplements, you know, Mm -hmm. in the mix. So that's a really smart idea. I think the other things that I really recommend preconception is to take an inventory of your digestive health. Um, that sounds a little random maybe at first, but, um, but really, you know, the idea there is we want to make sure that you're digesting and absorbing, you know, the nutrients from your food for one, um, two, we want, uh, there's so many things that influence the microbial balance, you know, in our gut and that in turn, um, can affect a lot of other systems, including the reproductive system and ultimately pregnancy. So there's, there's quite a few, uh, links to various pregnancy complications and just things that may arise, uh, to the microbiome, you know, so that that's something that I think is, is worth looking at. And if there's something going on digestively, if something's really not right, you know, and you kind of know that that's something to look into in advance of trying to conceive. I mean, no one's going into pregnancy feeling perfect. Um, (laughs) there's, there's no such thing, but, you know, taking an inventory, you know, of what's going on with your body and trying to, trying to go, you know, go into it in a place where you feel confident that you've got some, Mm -hmm. uh, lots of good nutrients on board. Your digestive system is working well. Things feel good. Um, overall. Absolutely. Yeah. Just simply having a good foundation in place because, you know, pregnancy itself throws most of us for a loop regardless, you know, even if you do have that solid foundation, you're almost inevitably going to have some symptoms that make it a little bit challenging to be, yeah, nobody's perfect with their diets or or their exercise, you know, it's just impossible. So um, definitely having that good foundation in place and honestly, just establishing healthy habits that will hopefully stick with you for a long time to improve your overall health, but also hopefully how you feel. Because again, you know, when we're so depleted, sometimes during pregnancy, and then especially postpartum, um, it just becomes so much more important. Yeah, you know, and remembering too that the the follicle and 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 not just remembering not I know not everyone's aware that, you know, the follicle that you'll ultimately ovulate, you know, and conceive with, that starts developing. I mean, really, it's almost a year prior. Um, but in the three months before um you conceive, that's really when that follicle production is ramped up and the environment that it's developing in needs to be nourishing for it to, you know, in balance for it really to um 
develop as healthy as it can. And, and same goes for sperm. You know, it's a very similar time frame. It's two to three months prior. You know, there's a lot in that window of time that can, can help really support a, a healthy pregnancy. So I often say that, you know, things like taking a prenatal, taking stock of what you're doing, it almost is more important preconception than during pregnancy, which mm-hmm. I know is contrary to what a lot of people say and experts, but really, um, I think we're intervening with things too late. You know, we really need to track back to the the preconception period. Yeah. And in my experience, I don't work specifically with pregnant women, but I do oftentimes see women who are pregnant and a lot of times that just becomes a time where they're like, oh my gosh, all of a sudden they want to be really eating really well. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that it's too late. You know, it's obviously never too late to make healthy changes, but I wish that women were really passionate about taking care of their bodies before that time. Cause sometimes it seems like it's, we're all of a sudden motivated when we know that we're nourishing another life mm-hmm. versus actually wanting to care for our own bodies before that. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's hard women, we have a lot of different things that we deal with that, that make that challenging, but yeah, I think that's just an important, hopefully thing to kind of keep in mind for people. So with that said, you know, how can we set that foundation? What are some foods or specific nutrients to focus on um, that we can get from from food sources Mm -hmm. during that kind of preconception phase and or that our male partners can kind of focus on to help as well? Yeah, actually, the good news is that a lot of the nutrients that women need are mirrored, you know, for men. And so what I like about that is, you know, these are meals you can eat together. You're not on separate Mm -hmm. diets and and plans, you know, it's a lot of the approach is very similar. And so, um, one, one thing to know is that, um, a a few really key nutrients to focus on preconception, um, are the ones that help support healthy neural tube development. So Mm -hmm. ideally when we see healthy neural tube development that can help prevent neural tube defects and the neural tube. So a lot of people have heard of neural tube defects before it's, it's usually in reference to folic acid and why we started fortifying the food supply, which is a little problematic and kind of another (laughs) conversation, but yeah. um, but, uh, you know, that neural tube closes about week five of pregnancy. So you, you sometimes haven't even taken a pregnancy test, you know, depending yeah. on how regular your cycles are. I mean, that could be days, you know, yeah. after your first missed period. And so those are the nutrients that I always get most concerned with being on board and in good supply. So that includes choline. And 95% of women are not meeting the adequate intake level for choline. And that's that's just the adequate intake level. And we know that that is an outdated number. There's Mm -hmm. better research now showing that we need double or more, you know, choline for, for really optimal health. And so that tells me that really just about everybody's not meeting, you know, their choline needs. So that choline is really rich in foods like, um, organ meats, like liver, you know, sometimes Mm -hmm. you can find ways to like hide that into, into food. Um, something that we historically ate a lot of, right. But don't as much anymore. Um, there's a good amount of choline and egg yolks. So I think, um, eggs with the yolk are a fantastic thing to include preconception and, and really, uh, really we're finding choline in animal source foods. So I think the most at risk women, um, for not getting enough choline and maybe needing even more supplementally would be uh, vegetarian or certainly vegan women. And, and I have to, I have to kind of like sidebar here is like, I would say, you know, if there ever was a time 
a phase of life to include some animal source foods, it really would be the reproductive years, like preconception, pregnancy, and postpartum. I mean, that even, even just the ones, you know, some of the bigger bang for your buck type foods, like Mm -hmm. beef, organ meat, eggs, fish, you know, um, I would really advocate for, uh, cause they're, they're giving important nutrients that we need in increased amounts, increased demands during the, uh, during pregnancy. So yeah, choline's a big one. The B vitamins like B12, again, only found in animal source foods, unless you're taking it supplementally omega threes, like the essential fatty acids, um, getting plenty of those on board because those are going to be needed in a much greater supply from even early on, you Mm -hmm. know, for baby's brain development. So working on that things like, um, folate, of course. Um, and I, I do like to point out here that there are different forms of folate and the form that we primarily find in food is methylfolate. That's about Mm -hmm. 80% of the folate we find in food sources like greens and again, liver and organ meats, but, um, the, the naturally high sources of folate, um, are methyl folate or folinic acid. Those are the two forms we, we use in full wells, uh, prenatal. So those are some key nutrients that I would put special emphasis on. Okay, great. And with that too, I want to touch on, she obviously discussed choline and the importance of that nutrient. And isn't it true that a large percentage of prenatal vitamins don't even include choline, or if they do, it's a very, very small, almost insignificant amount. Yeah, that yes. And um, the reason for that primarily is um, choline is really large. It's a large nutrient. It takes up a ton of capsule room. Um, it's one of the main reasons why our our formula is as many capsules as it is per serving. Um, yeah. Between choline, calcium, and magnesium, they're just really large nutrients. So if we were to, if you have a one a day, a two a day, even a three a day, you know, prenatal, I guarantee there's not more than 50 milligrams, maybe a hundred, usually not more than that of, um, some of, of those three really critical nutrients. So choline being one. So it's just the first thing to go because it's so problematic to fit into capsules. And I mean, when I, when I started, <laughs> when I formulated full well prenatal, I mean, everybody was like, Ayla, you're insane. Like nobody is going <laughs> to take eight capsules a day, <laughs> and, yeah. you know, and I had to pause and I really tried to see if I could, um, if I could reduce the capsule size, but it meant a not evidence-based formula, you know? And so for me, that wasn't worth it. Mm -hmm. And I think largely, um, you know, people have found uh, good ways to integrate into their routine that is reasonable. So it's, it's almost shocking at first because it's so different than the, the one a day multis or gummies or things like that, which, you know, gummy prenatals will, will just about almost never have choline. If, if they do, again, it's, it's negligible. Um, Mm -hmm. the amounts, they usually don't have minerals at all, which is, you need quite a bit more of in pregnancy. Right. Yeah. And I love that you didn't compromise, you know, the integrity or the value of all the nutrients in your formula to reduce the pill size. And yes, I remember initially being like, oh my gosh, it's eight pills. (laughs) Um, But I can honestly say in full disclosure, I am an affiliate for Full Well, but it's because, like I said, I very much believe in it and I've personally taken it myself. And one of the things that I love about it is that, yes, you can absolutely, you know, split the pills up throughout the day. So it makes it much more manageable, but also it never made me nauseous. And that's a big one. I think so many women struggle with their prenatals making them nauseous. And it's like, you're already freaking nauseous. <laughs> you don't need your pills making it worse. Right. And so, yeah, there's there's the pros and cons of everything that you have to weigh out. But for me, knowing that I was getting 
optimal nutrients from the supplements and that they were evidence-based and once again, safe, um, that was worth it to me. So definitely something to consider for people. And also, like you mentioned, DHA or the omega-3s. I think I've also learned from you that DHA is more stable when it's taken in a separate capsule. Is that correct? Yeah. You know, back when I was, I was formulating this again, and, um, I, based on my research and research and development around the product formulation, I just, I don't feel comfortable with, um, including essential fatty acids in a multivitamin that I don't think it's been established that, you know, that, that it truly remains stable and, and bioavailable. The other thing is, um, you know, you'll often see just DHA included in, in a prenatal, if it does include it, but we need EPA too. So that's another essential fatty acid that helps bring DHA across the placenta. And really, um, there's quite a few products out now, um, that are new, that are algae based, that are just DHA products. I really would encourage, you know, anyone listening, and we actually are coming out with the fish oil, which I'm really excited about, but I would just encourage listeners to look for, you know, essential fatty acids, like a fish oil supplement that has at least 400 milligrams of DHA and 200 milligrams of EPA that's, that's pretty close to the ratios that we find in nature. I mean, it's at least not so far off as just what we don't see in nature is just DHA alone. Let's put it that way. And so I think it's just really important to get in both of those fatty acids and that, um, there's not a way that I can see that you can do it without compromising the uh, availability and not risking oxidation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's helpful to know. And I know it could be a whole nother episode itself on folate versus folic acid, but could you briefly just touch on the difference in why folate is kind of what we want to look for in a supplement? Yes. Um, yeah, I'd be happy to. And boy, um, I talk about this sometimes on social media and there was, (laughs) there was recently a lot of backlash from the conventional uh, medical community who just is in disagreement. And I can tell you that some of the controversy and it's, it's, it's amazing how controversial this nutrient is. Um, Mm -hmm. some of the controversy is that, you know, um, organizations like ACOG and, um, some of those medical organizations really do, uh, stand behind folic acid. There's been research done on it. And the thing about folic acid is it's, well, first of all, it is the synthetic form of folate. So that's not always a bad thing. If it means that the form, so synthetic doesn't mean bad, but in the case of folate, it does mean less bioavailable. So that means our body is not able to utilize it as efficiently as you know, uh, but it, it happens to be that folic acid is absorbed really easily in the gut. So we, when we take it or we consume food that's been fortified with folic acid, it it does get absorbed pretty easily and will make it to the bloodstream, but that doesn't, but that absorption doesn't equal utilization. That's, that's kind of the nuance of this. Our body has to convert folic acid into methylfolate for it to be used um, always. And so that conversion requires, it actually requires um, an enzyme um, that not everybody is really efficient at producing. And the whole metabolic process actually requires other nutrients. So it's kind of a nutrient intensive process. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's, it's interesting. And so really for me, it kind of comes down to, you know, even, you know, genetics aside, um, I would say the problem with folic acid is that even if you don't have a comp, you're not compromised in producing the enzyme that's needed, there's a certain level and it's become something where we're getting so much of it in the fortified food supply. And it's so common in supplements that it gets to a point where 
there's some level of unmetabolized folic acid. I'm trying not to get too complicated, but um, yeah. it's important <laughs> because <laughs> because the unmetabolized folic acid can cause problems um, okay. in the body. So there is a negative impact. It's not just about not getting enough folate. There's actually kind of a negative impact seen with, with too much folic acid and that varies per individual. But main point, you know, is that <laughs> that's not a form of folate that we find naturally in food. We certainly, we didn't start, we didn't see folic acid in supplements or in the food supply until the late nineties. So, you know, before that we were getting folate from food and that is possible. Um, yeah. so we, I chose, and it made good sense to me to use the forms of folate that are found in the food supply, even though they're last I look it, it was hundreds of times more expensive than folic acid. So that kind of tells you something too. I mean, typically um, supplements are going to use the least expensive form. Right. Right. Which doesn't necessarily mean it's optimal. Um, Yeah. So I think, and that just goes back to, you know, obviously supplements, prenatals especially can be super beneficial, especially during that time where you do need some additional support, but it also goes back to the fact that they are meant to supplement our diet, you know, so just going back to choosing more of those whole foods more often versus the more processed foods that are fortified. Um, so yeah, just a good, good kind of take home there too. Okay, friends really quick. I need to talk about some of our favorite products that we have used throughout Rhett's whole life. Tubby Todd. I'm sure you've heard of them. And if not, you're welcome. They're famous for the all over ointment, which we loved and used all the time when Rhett had super dry skin as a little babe and his cradle cap. Um, And we absolutely love all of their bath soaps and shampoos as well. Their products are all pediatrician and dermatologist tested, and they have gentle body care basics for the whole family, including you, Mama. Another item of theirs that we love is the Sweet Cheeks Diaper Paste. It works like a charm and magically makes diaper rash vanish overnight, which makes my heart really happy because seeing his little bum red makes me super sad. (laughs) Head to the show notes to grab my affiliate link for 10% off your purchase and make bath time better with Tubby Todd. Okay, let's get back to the episode. Okay, so... Moving kind of into pregnancy. So for people, let's say, okay, we've kind of moved into the first trimester, let's say. Um, Mm -hmm. So for women who are especially struggling during that time, whether it's nausea or food aversions, and they're just really, really struggling to get in anything besides pasta or whatever that may be, what are your main tips for them? How can they reduce nausea or Mm -hmm. try to avoid it? Or, you know, what are some tips for getting some of those more nutrient-dense foods in during that really troubling time? Yeah. Gosh, first, I mean, first trimester is really tough and I've, I've been through it, um, <laughs> it myself, <laughs> of course. So yeah. there's nothing quite like that nausea. Um, yeah. yeah. So, you know, this is where like that pre preconception kind of building up your nutrient reservoir and everything and reserves, um, prior can really help you coast through, you know, first trimester. I mean, first of all, going into it, not depleted will help curb nausea that we know. Um, also if you can continue with your, you know, your prenatal, it, it can be hard to do. And there are things you can do like break it open, put it into smoothies, things like that. But B6, you know, in particular can be very helpful for nausea. Other things that I've, I like to recommend, and I did a lot of, um, are making a, like a ginger infusion. Mm-hmm. So you can make these like almost like as little shots, you know, cause it can be tough to tolerate a lot of liquid, you know, too. Yeah. 
Um, but I, this is, this is something that I recommend often is basically just taking a chunk of ginger that can even still have the peel on it. Like you don't even have to bother with that, (laughs) throw it, (laughs) throw it in the blender with some water and you make like almost like a slurry, just blending it together. And then you just put it through a a sieve, a colander, you know, and, um, strain it. And then you can put that in an ice cube tray, um, freeze it, um, put it in little containers just in the fridge or whatever. And ginger really does help, um, um, you know, quite a bit with, with nausea. I'm also, I mean, I'm an herbalist as well. And so I integrate a lot of herbs into, um, what I do, but things like bitter foods. Um, and if you can't tolerate the foods, some bitter compounds and herbs, I mean, this is partly how ginger helps, but things like bitter greens, if you can get a bit of those, like into a smoothie, you know, Mm -hmm. and sip on that, or sometimes what the nausea can stem from is, I mean, the hormonal changes that happen really slow down motility really significantly. And Mm. so things just sort of sit there. Um, there's all that progesterone and relaxin and there's less of those digestive juices to kind of move things along. So bitter foods and herbs and things, and even the ginger can help really move things along and that can help a lot, you know, and then I think it's just giving yourself some grace and and allowing, you know, really allowing to eat what you can do what you can try to stay hydrated, try to eat small snacks uh, and keeping your blood sugars up because the Mm -hmm. longer you go without eating the worse, the worse you typically feel. Yeah. Yeah. I know that was very much the case for me. I, I had to avoid letting myself really get hungry. (laughs) It was Mm -hmm. just eating, eating very consistently at least every couple hours. And, um, yeah, just keeping, keeping the blood sugars controlled, uh, definitely does help. So that's a good, good tip. And like you said, give yourself lots of grace because it is a challenging time, but the good news is most people do turn a corner after that first trimester. Mm -hmm. Um, obviously if you don't, you know, check in with your doctor to see if, if there's any interventions that are needed, because I know it is pretty bad for some. So, also with that said too, for people who are really struggling with food in general, but especially protein, I did get a lot of questions about protein powders. So <laughs> wondering if those are safe, are those okay? Um, what are your thoughts on protein powders during pregnancy? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And I, I get asked quite a bit about that as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, it really comes down to quality and to make sure that the, the protein powder you're using, they're doing what they need to do for testing. I mean, a real problem with supplements in general, but perhaps protein powders in particular will be heavy metal contamination. You know, there's, it's a lot of volume, you know, of powder. And so it's, it's, we, we find heavy metals just generally in the food supply and then you concentrate it in a supplement form and it can get quite high. So that's really typically my biggest concern is, is what testing has been done. Are they sharing those results with you? Do you know, it's good quality. I, I like collagen as an option, a supplemental option in pregnancy. I mean, again, full disclosure, I'm a medical advisory board member for vital proteins. Um, and I, I do have insight into their, their quality, you know, testing and really appreciate it and have seen how low, you know, all of their, uh, heavy metals come back and any other contaminants. And so I like that brand, um, but there are others and, um, collagen is nice because it's not a complete protein. So that's important. It's really not a protein supplement actually, but it does provide a ratio and spectrum of amino acids that can help, help you feel fuller, get in some nutrition, get in more glycine, which we need more of during pregnancy. So it's a lot of the right, the right amino acids and a nice profile. So that's an option. 
Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say I did. I, I took primarily collagen powders during pregnancy. And yes, that third party testing is huge, whether it's, you know, multivitamins or supplements of any kind, but especially those protein powders and especially during pregnancy. So yeah. definitely a good, a good thing to remember. And can you speak to what to look for? Because I, I know that there's different labeling and things that people can kind of see on packaging and stuff. So just some quick little tips on that. Yeah, I think, um, well, one, I would say that, you know, on a label, they're never going to disclose their testing results. That would be a separate document. Usually it's referred to as a certificate of analysis, a COA. So typically that's what you're asking for from a company and some will display it on their website. Some you have to just request it and companies should provide that, you know, in my opinion, not all do, but that's something that should be provided. Um, so I would look for that if, when it comes to, you know, supplements as a whole, but I would say even protein powder specifically, I mean, make sure you're looking to see, you know, what they're using for sweeteners. Is it a lot of sugar? Is it artificial sweeteners. Um, you know, stevia has been recognized as safe, you know, uh, and as well established as safe during pregnancy. So I think, you know, that's a fine option, you know, to use and is pretty often it is used as a, as a sweetener. So that'd be one thing I would look for also somewhere in the, in the range of like 15 to 20 grams of protein is, is probably going to be a good, a nice, like amount of supplemental protein too. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And speaking of, you know, artificial sweeteners and natural sweeteners, all that kind of stuff. What are your thoughts on artificial sweeteners and sugar alcohols and things like that during pregnancy? Yeah. So, uh, you know, some of the artificial sweeteners, I think we have, we have a lot of data now, you know, on, on them and the impact that they can have on, I mean, just speaking to one thing, I would say the impact they have on the microbiome, our microbial mm -hmm. balance in our gut is reason enough to avoid them because it really, that really is concerning. I mean, we have enough things that kind of assault the microbial balance between antibiotics that we sometimes need to take, you know, right. um, and, and other things. And so, um, and the microbial balance is really important because, you know, mom in a large way shares the microbiome with baby or helps, yeah. you know, inoculate baby. So we do want to pay attention to that. So I would say artificial sweeteners for a large variety of reasons are something to avoid. Um, things like sugar alcohols, my main concern there is just that it's at a certain level, it's going to cause loose stools. You know, it's going to mm -hmm. affect how you absorb, you know, nutrients in your food. It's going to perhaps exacerbate, you know, other symptoms. So I think it's really a tolerance issue with that. Sure. Absolutely. Okay, I have to tell you guys about one of my absolute favorite things that I'm pretty confident that you need in your life as well. We're all on our phones for a large portion of every day, right? So why not make it easier and more comfortable to hold your phone or prop it up with a nifty little gadget? I'm talking about my love handle phone grip. I'm seriously obsessed with this thing. So it's a stretchy strap that you can put on the back of your phone, but you can still lay your phone flat or stick it in your back pocket. It also has a little kickstand on the back so you can prop your phone up, which is probably my favorite feature that I'm using constantly. It even has a super strong magnet on the back. They have tons of cute designs and you can stick them on any phone case. If you've been looking for something like this, look no further. Use my affiliate code wellness for the win for 10% off your purchase of love handle. All right, let's get back to the show. Okay. So I wanted to touch on 
blood sugar. I know we've kind of talked about it a little bit, but obviously during pregnancy, like you said, there's a lot of hormonal changes going on. They, of course, screen for gestational diabetes during pregnancy because of that. But I think it's important for people to remember, regardless of if you have a diagnosis of gestational diabetes or diabetes prior to pregnancy, you know, no matter what, it's beneficial for everyone to aim to support balanced blood sugars. You know, that's just something that we can all benefit from. Um, So can you speak to that a little bit? You know, how we can maintain healthy blood sugars throughout pregnancy, especially Mm -hmm. for those who are maybe at higher risk for gestational diabetes. And also the fact that once again, if you do develop gestational diabetes, it's not necessarily your fault. You know, a Mm -hmm. lot of the time people get it, even though they're doing all the quote unquote right things. Um, So I'd love to hear you kind of speak on that. Yeah, that's right. You know, that last part that you said is, is very true, you know, and, um, some of that has to do with the way that we diagnose gestational diabetes and, you know, whether or not that should be revisited in some way, you know, and is it always comprehensive enough? Right. Like, so, but, but there are things that are always going to be out of our control, you know, with, with that. And it doesn't mean, um, you know, if you do have a, a diagnosis of gestational diabetes, there's a lot that you can do to minimize any risk to you and baby, um, which is always the concern with gestational diabetes is that it it does create risk around labor and delivery and longer term outcomes. But with that diagnosis, you can manage it to a large extent through diet. And I'd say, you know, making some of those interventions even prior, even if you're not at high risk for it is a good idea. And really what that looks like is balancing, you know, really balancing your meals and your snacks, you know, and uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, pregnancy can be a time where you've got your blood sugars can kind of be all over the place. I mean, first trimester, they can really like take nosedives and you can get kind of hypoglycemic and things change. I mean, things change because of the hormones metabolically, how you feel cravings, lack of appetite. Like there's a lot of things that just change your normal routine with eating. And so I think it just takes a really concerted effort to try to prioritize, like having balanced meals, you know, it's not as easy as it is outside of pregnancy to do that. (laughs) And Mm. so, but, um, and really, um, you know, what that looks like is protein, complex carbs and, um, you know, fat and, and making sure that those are there. And I'm sure you talk a lot about that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, yes. So important and, and such a seemingly basic thing. Um, but of course, easier said than done during pregnancy Mm -hmm. and, you know, and also postpartum because you're juggling a lot of things. You don't have the luxury of time, um, or energy a lot of the time. So yeah, there's always, you know, barriers to keep in mind. And once again, always give yourself grace during these, these challenging seasons. But with that said, think about, okay, what can I do to set myself up for success during this season? Whether that's leaning on your support system to help you a little bit more or or prepping food for postpartum, you know, that kind of stuff can mm-hmm. can definitely be helpful too. So I know some points of confusion, both during the trying to conceive period, but also during pregnancy, there's a lot of questions about caffeine and alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, so first of all, let's kind of start with trying to conceive community. So for people who are maybe have been on a fertility journey for a while and they've been struggling, is there a certain point where it is recommended to avoid caffeine or alcohol? Can you can you kind of talk mm-hmm. about that a little bit? Yeah. So I know, yeah, they usually get asked together, you know, those two, but are kind of yeah. di- different how you might think about them and consider them. I mean, first, um, I'd say, 
I generally have less of a, an issue with caffeine and find that there's, that can be included, <laughs> you know, yeah, in, in yeah. a, in a preconception and even a pregnancy diet postpartum, I would say those three phases wind up being looking a little bit different. And I think being mindful of how caffeine is affecting you and how that changes through yeah. those stages is really important because it will, you know? So I think a lot of women find, um, they just simply cannot tolerate the same amount of caffeine or sometimes any caffeine in pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just keep in mind that postpartum, we're wanting to really nourish the stress response system, you know, and not overstimulate it, uh, yeah. you know, for recovery. And so that would be my caution there. And that's when I love, um, I love a coffee alternative kind of herbal blend, uh, like Rasa, they, the founder really started that because she was looking for an alternative postpartum. So it's kind of, she's got an interesting story and that they've got some great, great options, but, um, yeah, but back to trying to conceive, I think caffeine tends to not be an issue as long as it's not taking the place of other hydration, right. you know, in place of food and nutrient dense foods, right? Like that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, with alcohol, you know, it really depends. Like this is like a really a dependent thing on we know that both sperm and egg as they develop and um ultimately that's when what you conceive you know with are very sensitive to oxidative stress you know so anything that's going to deplete antioxidants in the body and nutrients in the body is is going to have an effect you know so alcohol will do that i mean it requires nutrients for the liver to metabolize it it requires antioxidants to quell any any uh, free radicals produced, that doesn't mean that it can't be included, but it does mean how many straws are on the camel's back, (laughs) you know, so to speak. And, you know, if you're going to include some alcohol, are you getting in plenty of produce? Are you doing other things um, to help, to help manage that? But it is, it is a time where I think it's wise and most people would benefit from cutting back at the very least. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So just being mindful of your intake, you know, Mm -hmm. a glass of wine with dinner versus binge drinking on the yes. weekends kind of thing, um, which is, you know, usually not something we want to be doing anyway, but obviously no judgment. And yeah, just depends on your season of life. But I think that's helpful for people because I do know for people who have, you know, a diagnosis of PCOS, for example, there were some questions on that as well. Um, what special considerations should they take during, you know, while they're trying to conceive? Mm-hmm. Um, I know there's that's probably a whole nother, you know, podcast episode in itself as well. Um, but I know that that can be kind of a complex condition and mm-hmm. I know everyone is a little bit different, but do you have any specific recommendations for that community? Yeah. And what I'm going to say might sound like, like a little obvious, but, um, but really with PCOS, it's, it's going to be a matter of trying to get you to ovulate more frequently, you mm-hmm. know, and the path to doing that is very individualized. Um, but, uh, there it's a, it's a matter of really, I, I like taking a root cause approach to PCOS because it is, um, PCOS has become, it's, it's almost like an IBS, you know, irritable bowel syndrome diagnosis, just in that the comparison there is really that it's kind of this broad bucket, um, diagnosis where there's so many different shades of gray, so to speak, um, within it. So I really, really, you know, trying to regulate ovulation and that's really regulate your cycles preconception is it's going to help with conceiving. I mean, it's more opportunities to conceive, but it does, um, it is a good marker of getting things into, into balance. Um, for some with PCOS, that is largely 
blood sugar regulation, but that's not always, you know, a feature for everybody um, with PCOS. Mm-hmm. So if blood sugar imbalances are, then that's one major path to look at that I usually will help significantly. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I've had a lot of cases in the practice where just um, really increased stress from other systems like gut health imbalances um, or re- influence the severity of the PCOS. And so by helping to work on the digestive issues and balance those, we've been able to greatly improve the PCOS symptoms and, and make ovulation and cycles more regular. So it is definitely a big topic, but I think that's yeah. what I'd say about that. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, so similar to the general community where, you know, just being mindful of your specific intake of certain things such as caffeine and alcohol and how that's impacting mm-hmm. your overall health and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, what about a hot topic these days is both gluten and dairy. You know, they're mm-hmm. very demonized and they're, you know, often called inflammatory and almost everyone I talk to thinks that they should avoid them. Mm-hmm. Um, so can you talk a little bit about both gluten and dairy, maybe pros and cons during all of these kind of stages? Yeah, there is actually quite a bit of research that supports eating full fat dairy and fertility, you know, and also full fat (laughs) dairy supporting pregnancy postpartum, you know, so I'm, I'm a fan, you know, of trying to get dairy in and again, not just low fat, fat free, but full fat dairy, you know, um, I think general quality of life, it's a great thing, you know, but it's, <laughs> yeah. all, but it's, yeah. um, it's Amen also, to just, that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, helpful too. So I think if you can't tolerate it and there certainly are those that can't, I mean, to me, I want to see why, you know, is this something that we can resolve with this? Is this more of a gut imbalance, digestive imbalance, which I know we've talked about a bit here, or, you know, is it really truly an issue? So I think uncovering that is important, you know, rather than just assuming that it's not good. So it it does have some, a lot of benefits. It's um, a great source of minerals and really important nutrients, you know, and can help really balance out meals, you know, too, as we we talked about blood sugar balance. So I like to incorporate that and not restrict it as a broad brush approach. I mean, same with gluten. Um, I don't think it has to come out. I don't think it, you know, inflammatory or problematic for everybody. For some, it is a root cause. I mean, there's some modern reasons why I think gluten is a little more problematic than it has been, you know, in the past, but, Mm -hmm. but, you know, that's, that's something to, I think to really identify is that truly what the issue is, you know, before you completely uh, remove it. Cause that's, that's also one that's going, it's it's difficult to do, you know, and you're going to sacrifice some nutrient density if you take out all those foods. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And then the more that you're restricted, that can cause stress and Mm -hmm. affect your quality of life and a lot of different things. And I think, too, you know, thinking about the context in which you're consuming both gluten and dairy and where that's coming in, you know, if you're doing it in, you know, a nutrient dense form and part of a healthy balanced meal with mostly whole foods prepared at home, that kind Mm -hmm. of thing. It's very different than, you know, certain things that we might order at a restaurant, for example. So yeah, I thank you for debunking Mm -hmm. that because I think that's really important for people to remember is, you know, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. You don't have to cut out entire food groups or, Mm -hmm. you know, be really extreme. A lot of the times it is these basic foundational pieces to an overall nutritious diet. Yeah. A a lot of times it's really, it's really frankly, like additive, you know, what can we add in, you know, um, preconception, 
pregnancy postpartum is a time to think about what do we add? Like, let's add nutrient density versus what do we take away? Yeah. Amen to that. Um, Okay. So let's kind of move into postpartum a little bit. So talking about moms who have just given birth, whether it was via C-section or a vaginal delivery, either way, our bodies are, we just like completed a marathon, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and our bodies are in that recovery phase. So how can we support our bodies during postpartum? I know that continuing to take your prenatal supplements Mm -hmm. and, you know, all of these supplements is still important because our nutrient needs are still very much increased. But what period of time would you recommend continuing to take supplements? And then as far as, you know, foods to support us during that time, what should we focus on? Yeah. So with postpartum, I mean, this is, this is, um, one thing that is surprising to a lot of people is that your generally your nutrient needs across the board, including calories, like the, the macronutrients, like carbs, protein, and fat and the micronutrients, like your vitamins and minerals are significantly higher than they were in even the third trimester of pregnancy, which is particularly true if you're breastfeeding. Um, so breastfeeding, I mean, what you're doing, um, uh, with the production of breast milk, with um, what happens with the remodeling of breast tissue to accommodate breast milk, um, combined with all of the healing that has to go on. So even if you're not breastfeeding, I mean, the placenta, when you deliver the placenta during delivery, um, there's almost like a saucer sized <laughs> wound that's left in the uterus yeah. that has to be healed, you know? So it's, yeah. it's sometimes it's, I, I don't think that's talked about, but that's a huge recovery. That's a piece of the recovery. And yeah. then there's, you know, there may be a C-section, there can be, um, tearing, there can be, even if there's none of that, there's a lot of, um, like I said, just tissue remodeling and repair that happens in that postpartum period that is just so energy and nutrient intensive. So it's in the flip side of that is it's probably the hardest time to really nourish yourself, you know? Yeah, so, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, I think we collectively prepare for labor and delivery a lot more than we prepare for postpartum. And we, and we definitely prepare for baby more than yeah. we prepare for mom and, and her recovery. And so um, I'm definitely an advocate of trying to set up your team to help support you postpartum. Um, I tell all my clients and you know, did this myself, uh, is to make sure that you've got an, an IBCLC, like a lactation consultant that will come and do a home visit, like on just the number, like, even if you never use that person, you know, you want to make sure you have someone who does a home visit with you. Don't rely on just, um, who you can see at the pediatrician's office or your, it's very hard to do much in that early postpartum period. So, um, there's always ones in your area. I think almost everywhere that will come do home visits. That's pretty common. And a doula, a postpartum doula, if you can afford it, if you can budget for that, that is like worth its weight in gold. I mean, even if, if you can, or you can't, um, something like a meal train, you know, setting something like that yeah. up using an online tool. Cause there are those to help, help get you the nourishing food. So you're not having to, um, do all the meal prep, you know, yourself, which you can do a bit of, you know, during pregnancy as well, postpartum, you know, your protein needs are a lot higher. All of your vitamin and mineral needs are. And so it's, it's in also digestively in the immediate postpartum, it's, it's hard to digest, um, food. You've got a lot of shifts that are happening and, yeah. um, hormonal shifts and yeah. the healing and just 
things are moving, you know, mm-hmm. and so you're not to, moving. You're not. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, digestively like warming, easy to digest foods, like in that immediate period, like really nutrient dense soups, like made with bone broth and a protein and like cooked vegetables. Like that's a great thing to lean on mm-hmm. and a pretty easy thing to make ahead of time too. Yeah. Absolutely. I think those are all really important to remember. Like you said, just leaning on people, setting up a meal train. Oh my gosh, that's such a good idea and something that so many people would benefit from. And yeah, we we definitely prepare a lot more for baby than we do for mom. Mm-hmm. I just recently saw something, um, a post on Instagram about that exact topic. It was like, trust me, your baby doesn't care how cute its nursery is. <laughs> you know, it cares yeah. if its mom is well. And, you know, so if you're investing in yourself by whether whatever that means, you know, having that support system in place so that your mental health is good and your physical health is good so that you can care for yourself and baby, that's so much more important than a cute nursery. Um, you know, we all care about having a cute nursery. That's fine. But, you know, at what expense, I guess. Yeah. And actually, um, we mentioned an IBCLC, like a lactation consultant, maybe a postpartum doula meal trains, but the other, the other thing just to have on hand, so you're not trying to research this postpartum, right? Like just to have ready would be, um, to look for a maternal mental health provider in your area, postpartum Mm -hmm. support international. They're an organization that's part of our give back program and they're fantastic. And they've got a directory on their site where you can look up by your zip code, who's available. And there are now, you know, um, as one positive of the pandemic, there are many that work across state lines and remotely and that kind of thing. But a maternal mental health provider is also worth their weight in gold because they specialize, you know, in this. And it's, it's a really, it's a really challenging period, just the uh, transition to motherhood. And I think that's, that's another resource. Absolutely. So, so important. And something that I try to talk about all the time. I have personally struggled with postpartum anxiety. I know it's so common and a lot of people just don't have that support. And I think, you know, I was, I was happy with my care throughout my pregnancy because they oftentimes did talk about, you know, if you feel that you need help after baby comes, you know, let us know, or, you know, they, Mm -hmm. they kind of made me aware of that. But I think, having that follow-up after to really continue to check on mom, you know, because, and also making the partner aware, we did kind of a a childbirth class leading up to our son being born. And that I think was really helpful too, kind of making Mm -hmm. the partner aware of, okay, these are some signs to look for. And this is maybe, you know, a red flag or something to, to, to discuss or, you know, get help on. Um, so yeah, those are all really important things to consider during pregnancy. Um, and especially in that early postpartum period. And also knowing too, that, you know, those two weeks postpartum, the, the baby blues, they call it, Mm -hmm. um, is normal for most people. Again, that's a humongous hormonal shift that's happening and being very tearful and emotional for no apparent reason at times is normal, but also knowing that, you know, if that continues or feels, you know, like you're not able to, do your daily activities um, and things like that, then that's obviously a time to seek help. But also knowing that those uh, postpartum disorders can also show up six months later Mm -hmm. um, or Mm -hmm. upon weaning. You know, there's there's so many hormonal shifts still happening up until the time that you wean. Um, so yeah, just something to, to stay on top of for sure. Yeah. I love, I love those points that you made and just, um, remembering that postpartum is, it can be, it can be up to a year. It can be longer than that yeah. even. So you're not too far out from getting help. And I think, um, 
again, a maternal mental health provider is really um, a good resource to at least know a number and have on hand because really um, most women's experience, you know, is they're going to go in for maybe the six week checkup. And before Mm -hmm. that, it's just pediatrician visits for baby. Right. right? And at that six week visit, I mean, you know, it's, it, it does tend to be a little bit more on checking to see if you've healed. Right. And, um, talking about birth control options is what I have found, uh, you know, which might not, it's often not even remotely on anyone's radar at that point, even. Um, so, you know, um, there's not a ton beyond like maybe a screening form, you know, that doesn't capture, uh, doesn't capture everything. Right. So I think, I think your point of, um, having your partner aware of what the red flags may be and just watching out for it is a good one. Yeah. Cause I'm at this time, I'm almost 15 months postpartum and we're slowly weaning right now. Um, it's still a process. So mm-hmm. just kind of deciding what I want to do, but it is so emotional. And it's like, sometimes I'm like, is this my hormones or am I just, you know, it's hard to know mm-hmm. what the heck's going on with, with my emotions sometimes, but yeah, it's a, it's a lot. Weaning is extremely difficult, even if it's yeah. a very, long and slow process that helps, but it's surprising how, how it can really hit you. Even if it, you felt like, you know, I haven't even been (laughs) breastfeeding a lot and stop. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's yeah. It's been a wild couple of months. I feel like it just, yeah. I'll just have certain times where I'm all of a sudden crying for no reason. Mm -hmm. And yeah, extremely, you know, have a lot of anxiety and it is, I think that's something that's definitely not talked about enough. Um, so people need to be made aware that, you know, you're not crazy if you're going through the weaning process and feeling like your emotions are all over the place. Cause that is part of it, unfortunately. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, Oh my gosh. Well, this has been such a helpful conversation. I knew it would be because you're just, again, such a wonderful resource for women in this area specifically. And I appreciate your your time and your expertise. And I'm going to wrap up with a couple of different things. So first, before you tell us all the things and where people can find you, um, and I didn't warn you on this question, so hopefully it's not <laughs> too hard to think of. Um, but I like to wrap up by asking people, what is you know, one of the best pieces of advice that you've ever received or a, mm. a piece of advice that you'd like to share? Oh, yeah. I would say that is uh, remembering that it's it's all a phase. So mm-hmm. it's the good stuff, but it's the challenging stuff too. Like I yeah. I personally needed that. Um, I, I still apply that too. <laughs> I'm, 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 I apply that to a lot of things in my life, just realizing yeah. that nothing, it's all temporary. And yeah. um, especially immediately postpartum, it's like, you know, baby's going through, going through it. Right. And crying and it's really challenging and you've got no sleep and just realize, just remembering that it's a phase and it will change that. That's helps me a lot. Yeah, absolutely. So, so true. And I think that'll be helpful for me if, and when we have another baby someday, having already been through it, I think (laughs) I will remember like, okay, we got through this once before it's not permanent. That is, that Mm -hmm. is really helpful and applicable to all areas of life, not just, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. pregnancy, postpartum or or baby life. (laughs) Um, perfect. Well, I love that. And yes, please tell us all the places that we can find you. I will of course provide links to everything in the show notes because I want people to check out, um, you know, your social media platforms and also some of the products that you sell. Uh, yeah, thank you. So we um, on Instagram, we're at Fullwell Fertility. Uh, and then it's fullwellfertility.com. And that is the only place that you can find any of our products. We don't, um, you know, sell in stores or anywhere else. Um, we'd like to, to keep it simple and controlled, uh, again, yeah. for the quality piece. So um, you can find us there. I'm also Ayla Barmer underscore RD. 
on Instagram. (laughs) Awesome. Perfect. Well, I will be sure to provide all that. And I just want to thank you again so much for your time. You are amazing. And I loved this conversation and I think other people will too. So thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course. I hope you enjoyed this episode and took away some tips or wisdom that you can apply to boost your health and happiness starting today. If you did, I would love it if you would subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating and review to help other women like you find my show and get inspired to start living a life they love. Also, take a quick screenshot and share it to your Instagram stories. Be sure to tag me at wellness for the win so I can see why you love today's show. Thank you so much for listening and talk to you next time.